I'm Chris Reback. Welcome to Quick Conversations, our podcast that explores the extraordinary world of global supply chain logistics, how it keeps business and life moving. Among the many business lessons that moved from the back pages to headline news during the pandemic, the complexity and importance of maintaining global supply chains, the lifeblood for all of us from healthcare to biotech, aviation to high-tech and beyond, helping move products, aircraft parts, and even life-saving cell and gene therapies. Also in the spotlight, the sophisticated technologies required to keep each part of the global supply chain seamlessly active and secure. In part one of our Quick Group IT Roundtable, Business Continuity Takes Center Stage, we explored what it takes to maintain cutting-edge technologies and 24-7 supply chain service requirements during a pandemic. Today, in part two's The Show Must Go On, we go further, gaining best practices from the Quick Group's technology professionals, learning what all of that back and front-end expertise means for clients, and doing this while constantly pushing for continuous improvement, which is... In the words of one of our panelists, quote, constant and never-ending. These panelists are all part of the Quick Group IT team who support the company's four business units. Sterling Global Aviation Logistics, Quick Specialized Healthcare Logistics, QuickStat Global Life Science Logistics, and Quick Specialty Logistics. The four technology leaders who joined our dynamic virtual roundtable included Eric Bischoff, Chief Information Technology Officer, Michael McNally, Vice President of IT Product Management, Ed Wendell, Director of User and System Support Documentation Training, and Bob Rottinger, Director of IT Infrastructure and Compliance. A quick note before we start. If you like what you hear, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. It makes a big difference in helping people find the podcast. Now, here's part two of our IT Roundtable discussion. We began by asking Eric Bischoff about the best practices that remain top of mind for him following so many months of the pandemic. That's never-ending. We, we follow the uh, can-I, you know, constant never-ending improvements. We've, we've always operated that way, so this is just adding to it. Maybe then for the other folks... On our call, what are some of the areas that may have added to Eric's never-ending, always-growing, always-evolving list of best practices? Ed, I would assume that with uh, your, quote, client base moving to you know home offices and different locations, all of a sudden there had to be you know some some types of new best practices or were the ones that you had in place already were they already applicable talk to me about what best practices might you have come away with uh from going through this pandemic for so many months now here's the thing we didn't we really didn't have to change that much um you know people people were trained to 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 react a certain way when there was a problem how to get in touch with us how to report problems to us and that didn't change um, we were trained to respond to problems regardless of the, the, the time of day or night. And we were trained that when the problem we couldn't handle to, to get someone who could and get it fixed as soon as possible and get them up and running. So, uh, you know, that didn't change. What, what did change and, and what made it a little bit more difficult was if, if someone was in an office at two o'clock in the morning and suddenly they had trouble with their operating system, they could get up, move to another terminal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they can't do that now. They can't do that. So uh, the thing that has changed for us is that the, at two in the morning, uh, that call, which used to be uh, a report that we would get to in the morning, has to be gotten to right then. Uh, because we've got somebody working and they need, they need to work. They need to answer the phones. They need to be on the computer and that has to be taken care of right away. So I guess that was the big adjustment for us is, um, is that 24, 24 seven, we no longer had the luxury a lot of times of saying, okay, we'll get to that when we can, we had to get to everything right away. I think that, um, it's important to understand how we, we, implement best practices. Um, I think the one best practice that, that I see us um, using is just managing the technology. Um, and it's important to understand a year ago, in November of last year, where we were, we, we started business continuity management calls. We, um, we increased our capacity. We, we increased the capacity of bandwidth into the data centers, into the major offices. We doubled our storage. We upgraded all of our server capacity. We started the voice over IP implementation. Um, we expanded the security platform on all of our laptops. We moved all of our shared files from our offices to the data center. And we started the switch from WebEx to Zoom. And this was in November of last year, where we didn't know anything about coronavirus. And then when it came time, March and April of May, we were in a position to focus on the effort of moving people out of the offices. So we didn't have to ask the questions before we pressed that button are we prepared from a technology standpoint? Because our best practice is to always manage technology. Uh, the only thing that we didn't have the best practice to do was now that we moved 300 people from the office to work from home, we basically had to manage their home networks. We had to manage when other local ISPs would go down and we had to figure out, you know, if it was Comcast, then, you know, because their problem at home became our problem. So, you know, that all this by managing technology upfront, which is a parallel effort, not a serial effort. Um, we were able to give us time to support uh, enabling our users working from home. What best practices did your customers uh, expect and how do you, how did you think about what were you hearing from them either directly from them or maybe through uh, quick colleagues who would interact with them uh, out in the field? So I think they expected business as usual, you know, they expected to, you know, maintain the same level of communication that we provided, you know, uh, in, in our, while we were, while everybody was in our control towers. Um, and, you know, I don't think much has changed. You know, we haven't really received, uh, any negative feedback of saying, you know, well, now our, you know, we're not receiving the same amount of, you know, personal phone calls directly from our, you know, customer relations management team or, you know, we haven't received this information with quick online where we normally go to, to, to monitor and track our package is not, you know, um, available, you know, so these things that, you know, we've, 
worked on and had in place for many years uh, has has held up with this transition, um, not only for our teams uh, internally uh, transitioning to their own homes, uh, but, you know, as well as our customers transitioning to their homes um, and out of their offices that, you know, our processes and um, our, you know, products have are, are holding up and in, in, in this time and, and to the test of time to to continue to serve our, our customers uh, with that information uh, that they that they expect. And so now maybe let's think about going forward. Let's think about uh, the ways in which preparedness and continuity business and redundancy was already built into the quick systems, the ways in which uh, COVID and the pandemic have uh, evolved client expectations and requirements internally, um, and, and really think about the future. And I'm curious from each of you, and Eric, I'll start with you, is from a client's perspective, um, what are things that you want them to know about what Quick does so that you are able to successfully expect the unexpected? That this is a constant and never-ending, and uh, we're always looking for more redundancy, more stability, so that we can serve them. You know, the, the nature of our business is, you know, minutes count, right? Hmm. Uh, whether, you know, can you pick up something five minutes sooner makes a big difference as to whether you're going to make a flight or not. So everything is, all the information is critical and it needs to be live. And that's what we're doing. Is there an example by chance? Did anything come up uh, over the last months that's coming top of mind where th th there was a client inquiry, continuity of business? Hey, what's going on? Um, I know there are always emergencies, um, anything in particular that uh, that you heard from clients where you were able to respond with, uh, well, here's what we have in place? Well, again, I think we hear it on a definitely weekly, if not almost daily basis, where we're constantly having questions or calls from our clients, our, one of our largest European clients. We, we had a meeting with their business continuity team and they ran us through their entire plan. We are such an important part of their supply chain that they wanted to ensure that we knew what their business continuity plans were and how, how they have integrated us into those plans. Clients have their expectations of business continuity on themselves is the same as they put on us. So I think the principles still exist of business continuity, regardless of the size. As I said before, you know, it's about the confidentiality, the integrity, and the availability of data for our clients. And they implore us to have those same principles in place as well. In some ways, Bob, did that bring you closer to your clients? I mean, your processes, uh, you know, definitionally are part of, you just said it, part of their global supply chains. 
And so you, you have to work already hand in glove with clients to ensure that, that their businesses work. But did this in some way bring you closer or was it that the benefit that you already had standard operating procedures around client touch points in place? And so yes, they had questions, but you were able to answer those questions. How did, how did the client relationship evolve? Um, because of the continuity of business requirements that they had during the pandemic and have during the pandemic? Well, I, I think it was, again, it was eye-opening that they would go to the lengths that they did to share their deep, detailed business continuity plans with us. So in one respect, you know, they were very open and honest and, and forth, forthcoming with what their plans are. And, I think when they learned and saw what our plans are and, and the the de- the level of detail that we've gone through, I think they felt a synergy with us. Um, it was a comfort, but at the same time, you know, it was it was an anxious comfort um, because they realized where we fit in their supply chain, and you know, they were happy that. We have plans. We have it documented. We, you know, provide them with the documentation. And at the same time, you know, they're, they're anxious for us to succeed because if we succeed with business continuity, so do they. And, and Mike, I'm wondering what you saw in terms of um, client engagement, the client relationship, um, you know, from a product point of view uh, during this period. Yeah, every you know everyone's busy. You know everyone's um, you know juggling a lot of uh, a lot of things. You know every customer is so. You know the communi- communication. You know is is a challenge. It's you know one of my responsibilities and 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 goals is to continue that communication channel with our customers uh, to keep up and and understand how their business is changing um, and um, you know where we need to be and where we want to be. Uh, you know we. We have a great relationship with all of our customers and we treat this as kind of a, a team. We're invested in their product just like they're invested in ours. So, uh, you know, we do a lot of, uh, you know, we kind of, we do a lot of working together um, with, you know, in a, you know, integration um, or just communication uh, and how do we, you know, not only develop, you know, features and, you know, additional, um, you know, tools for them, but also continue to keep that, um, you know, our systems aligned. So, you know, they have the ability to keep consistent um, visibility uh, with their shipment, um, regardless of how their, you know, their processes have changed, or maybe ours have, you know, um, you know, with these challenges. And maybe we can talk specifics. And I don't know, Mike, if this is going to be for you, or maybe for one of uh, the other um, speakers in the group. Um, but but what has IT done or had to do um, in areas of tech differentiation in terms of saving customers time, you know, cost efficiencies, streamlined visibility? I mean, you talked about that a little bit earlier, Mike, in, in, in terms of the supply chain. Um, you know, maybe some business examples, you know, in, in pharma. I mean, thinking about the different areas that you guys cover, and they, they, some of them were just mentioned a moment ago, but, you know, from pharma and uh, blood shipments and high, t- you know, all the way to high tech and to biotech, the requirements are so significant 
Um, they differ certainly, um, you know, if you're shipping a kidney, um, there are obviously some real requirements about that. Um, what have you been able to do? And, and, you know, Mike, we can start with you and then whoever around the panel has something to add around in areas of, of tech differentiation to really answer those uh, client issues. Uh, yeah, that could be a whole podcast in itself. Uh, we've done a lot. Biotech is, it's a, you know, cell and gene therapy, clinical trials. You know, these are major pieces of our verticals and our customers that we continue to uh, meet their challenges as their cold chain logistics uh, evolve, uh, you know, from uh, integrating with um, their systems or their partner systems uh, for scheduling, um, canceling, rescheduling, with the cell and gene therapy, it's scheduling and then a week later saying, well, the schedule has changed. So we've worked very hard at building these tools in our system and our, in, in our API services to allow them to do that. That goes all the way to this, the, the CRM to see that change and adapt and change that logistics plan uh, on the fly and communicate that back to them. You know, saw that you've changed this uh, schedule till next week. Here's your new flight information. Here's the new uh, expected delivery. Uh, you know, smart packaging um, asset management has been huge for us. You know, you have a lot of um, package units and now your people are starting to hear about this with, you know, uh, the recent Pfizer um, announcement of, oh, well, how do you keep this product in this temperature range? Well, there's a lot of companies that provide these packaging units and they have GPSs embedded, they have um, temperature probes embedded. So how do you um, manage those? How do you just get that information to the customer of saying, here's where your package location currently is, here's the temperature, uh, and then now we need to get that asset um, once that product is delivered and that and those vials are taken out of the product of the packaging unit, how do we get that back into um, our system so we can repeat the process and have that available for the next shipment? So, you know, we've developed a lot of internal tools and a lot of um, uh, you know, uh, systems to, to manage that even down to permissions and, and, you know, customers, uh, you know, patient information, you know, a lot, you know, the clinical trials now, um, you know, are in the, the thousands. So we've had to modify our uh, notifications, our um, online platform to make sure that we are being, uh, we are um, hiding specific information or we're protecting specific data, depending on who's monitoring that job. So, you know, there's just a large scope of all of our products, either both internally and externally that are all connected together that we have been, uh, you know, spending hours and days trying to um, evolve for um, these new requirements. We've seen tremendous growth in uh, cold chain management. And what are you thinking about that, Eric? Because we all have read in, in the popular media um, about the Pfizer vaccine. We've read about uh, the Moderna vaccine. We've read the different temperature requirements so far between the two vaccines. We'll see how that change or, or changes or what, what evolves. Um, but, but how are you thinking about those types of requirements um, going forward? Well, the, the Pfizer product requires extreme levels of cold chain management. That's a challenge for everybody. So that's one thing that's different. Yes. And what else, in terms of the flexibility um, that Mike was talking about, and in terms of um, blinding 
information? Um, is are the, is there adaptation to a new normal? Is there adaptation to new requirements that you're having to think about? Does it does it do you maybe review all of your standard standard operating procedures and the various functions that you have in place? How how are these? How is this new normal, and how are these new requirements um, helping push your thinking? Well, the, the blinding of the patient information and things like that, that, I mean, that's not exactly new to us. We've been doing this, but it's gotten, it's gotten um, the, the amount of it has grown tremendously, and the mm. complexity also has changed. And uh, the complexity because you have different departments and different companies who are looking at information and some can see certain things and they shouldn't see others. So it's very granularly managed and uh, profiled that way. And is it customized by the, by customer? I mean, you know, you need to ensure that integrity. I know um, are on the margins is that are the customer requirements uh, very different or, you know, have you the ways that you've already thought about it and the uh, the procedures that you have in place cover, you know, 95, 99 percent of the customer requirements that come in? I think what we have in place covers probably most everything. Um, what's different is we're finding ourselves having to also educate the customers as well. There's a lot of new companies that come online and they don't always understand the complexity of that as well. So we work together to, to make all of this happen. Yeah. We, you know, we customize to the customer level, to the user level at some, in some instances, it's, it all depends on, you know, that customer's requirements. Um, but yeah, we can, we can get pretty granular in our, in our uh, permission levels and, and what we want to, um, show, display, um, provide to, to the user. As we start to come to the uh, close of this conversation, I'm curious really about uh, two things. Um, one is uh, what's next? What are you worried about next? What are um, areas coming down the pike that uh, are top of mind for you um, to the extent that there are new things that you are thinking about? And, you know, perhaps relatedly, um, what advice would you give to our listeners? Um, you know, there are so many different areas around preparedness that you've been discussing, um, you know, external clients, people listening to this conversation um, would probably would surely benefit from your insights. So, um, you know, and Bob, maybe we can start with you. Uh, are, are there Areas coming, you know, features coming down, you know, requirements, challenges um, coming down the pike that uh, that are top of mind for you. Well, it's um, it's really the 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 change, the global change of how data privacy is going to impact our technology because. The, the uh, data privacy rules um, are fundamentally going to change how we store, manage, protect data, regardless of where they are. So 
um, in other regardless of where the individual might reside. And it's it's going it's going to change how we um, use our data, how we store our data, how how many databases we have that have customer information in it, and and then how do we respond to customer inquiries to um, to uh, remove, delete, or uh, sanitize their data because they can make that request at any time. And uh, this has relatively um, been in place in the European Union. The U.S. is much, much more lax, but soon we're going to have to uh, meet those same requirements. But that's really, again, it's how do we rewire our house with the lights still on? How do we, um, how do we approach business continuity, maintain our current technology that we have in place, ensure that we have adequate capacity while at the same time preparing for these big data privacy rules. And you're talking about GDPR, is that correct? Correct, right. Which is, which is what? The, that is the um, European set of rules that have come out around uh, data privacy, um, but not fully, not fully implemented yet or required yet in the U.S. But what I hear you saying is, um, you, you know, these are the European rules, and you fully expect that these will will grow. Or you you have to are you having to implement that level of um, responsiveness uh, regardless of where the clients are? Is that is that what you're saying? Well, we there are data privacy rules in place in the EU that affect broadly our IT organization. I mean, it goes everywhere from our our employees trained on what data privacy is. Um, And do we have uh, backups in place so that we can protect uh, our customers' uh, data relative to privacy rules? Um, And but those rules are not in place for the United States. So we, we, we have to uh, apply the rules in the EU way that we conduct business here in the U.S. because we're a global company. We're following the highest levels, regardless of whether they're needed here or not. We have to. That's what I would assume. Yeah, so they, that, that sets the bar and uh, and and then the requirement comes to uh, <laughs> to jump over it. Uh, Ed, I'm wondering from your point of view in terms of uh, potentially some advice for listeners, uh, clients who are thinking about their own organizations. Um, any, any tips, any highlights in terms of uh, preparedness of uh, employees? It's, you know, it's... Uh... It, it shows always just, you know, expect the unexpected, as they say, um, uh, to be prepared for, for anything and just, uh, you know, react to, to situations as best as you can. You know, you know, this was, uh, you know, we still don't know what's to come. You know, you keep on hearing about the new normal. We don't know what the new normal is going to be. We don't know what we're going to be six months from now or people, you know, in my in, in my dream, sometimes I, I, I get these like you know, 
I get these fever dreams of like Eric calling me up and telling me we got to move everyone back by tomorrow or something. You know, it's like we've got a lot of people to move back and there's a lot of questions how we're going to move people back if that's what we're going to do. We just don't know. We don't know where people are going to be, you know, because we don't know what circumstances are going to be on the ground. So, you know, you, you have to keep flexible. You have to uh, you have to keep open minded. Uh, you have to keep mobile and, uh, you know. And, 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 you know, worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, but we got to keep it in the back of our mind that it's, that it's coming right at us. And, and if Eric is appearing in your dreams slash nightmares, I, 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 I'm sure that Eric feels that that's, that's exactly where he, he ought to be. And he's glad that you're thinking about these issues 24 seven. Is that right, Eric? Well, you know, listen, we 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 have a team that's worked together for a long time. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we're 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 thinking the same way. So, yeah, I I'm sure But you, you know, are. we're not, we've always been in that mode, you know, like I said, I you know, I have a background in the, in another industry prior to logistics and which is where the the saying the show must go on, right? And we apply this here every day. So, we're we have a level of preparedness. We're thinking about this all the time. And, uh, you know, we want our customers to know that we're here. We're going to do whatever it takes. Eric, what should folks look for in a global logistics provider, particularly during COVID times? Flexibility, reliability, inventiveness. We're, we're pretty creative bunch. Yeah, that creativity matters. I, I, not only potentially imagining the challenges that might yet come up, but then I assume responding creatively to the challenges that came up that nobody for, foresaw. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mike, anything, anything from you in terms of, uh, you know, you're thinking about, I mean, everyone is thinking about the clients all of the time. Um, Obviously, you know, so many of your products are sitting in client hands. Um, What would, what would your guidance be? What, what should folks look for in a global logistics provider, particularly during, and uh, we hope soon, very, very soon, um, immediately after COVID times? Yeah, I think which, you know, we talked about earlier is, is that transparency, um, you know, the, the communication, the transparency, because, you know, in our industry uh, and uh, specifically, it's there's there's a lot of, um, you know, everything needs to be there yesterday. So we need to continue and, and we strive to continue to, uh, you know, reassure our customers uh, with our products of, you know, um, this is, you know, our processes are in place. Uh, this is our, you know, where your package is currently located uh, and using those, you know, a new additional um, tools at our disposal, GPSs and, and, and different, um, different um, um, assets that, that we now have uh, available to us uh, to continue to provide that to the, to the customers. And any features that, uh, you know, or, or concepts or challenges coming down the pike that uh, are top of mind for you? Yeah, we have a, a ton of, uh, we, yeah, we have uh, great um, products uh, or, you know, we are working uh, on 
some new products some new technology, you know, built on some, uh, some, some brand new tech stacks that uh, we have uh, MVP, you know, coming uh, shortly. So we're very excited. We've been working very hard through, uh, you know, through this, um, you know, through uh, the pandemic so far, you know, we really kicked off uh, this, our, our product, you know, right when it started to get pretty bad and things started to shut down, we, we had our kickoff, you know, first week of April. Um, but, you know, since we were used to being a completely remote team, uh, we kind of never lost our stride, and uh, we should be uh, having some some of these. Uh, this MVP should be coming out you know, shortly. Some exciting new products coming online. Yes, excellent, excellent. You want to break any news right here, right now? Want to give us? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, so yeah, both internal and external some products that are just uh, right around the corner. I had a feeling there there would be a secret. What what happened to the transparency, Michael? <laughs> and, and Michael, just to be clear for anyone who isn't aware, uh, you've used the term MVP. What is MVP? When you're developing a product, you're you know, in your product development team bubble of developers and project managers uh, and design team. You know everything. You know, it's the best product ever, but you don't know until you get it out to that customer. So, you know, you want to develop something uh, to that's usable for the customer, but you get to them as soon as possible because they're going to give you that true feedback of what works, uh, what doesn't, uh, what they like, what they don't. So you can, you know, continue to improve. You know, there wouldn't be an iPhone 12 if they didn't get that first iPhone out. So, you know, that's our goal is to to, to get a product out, something that's usable. It's not going to have every single uh, feature available, but it's something that they can, can give us that feedback and we can really see um, where we're at um, at that at that time. Well, you know, every, every, everything that we've launched, you know, we were pretty aggressively early in our industry. And uh, we've been operating with those products like I said, since 1990 on, on our ERP and since 2000 on all of our online systems. And what we're working out on now is like the next generation stuff that will take us into the next decade. Well, the next generation and the next decade uh, are where the focus is, I am sure, because as you have pointed out, the show must go on. Um, unfortunately, this show must end um, Eric, Mike, Bob, Ed, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights, um, particularly around uh, ideas and what you've learned um, that can help inform and, and increase confidence uh, among uh, customers and clients globally. Thank you all for your time. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. That was part two of our Quick Group IT Roundtable. My thanks to Eric, Mike, Bob, and Ed for joining, and you for listening. To learn more about Quick's global logistics solutions or to subscribe to our podcast, go to quick.aero, that's A-E-R-O, slash podcasts.